Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we're reviewing Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 6, The Bounty. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies. Starting with none other than the Who story himself, Cal Jones, how you doing, man? You know what? As always, I know I sound like a broken record, but as always, I'm glad to be here and glad to be talking Trek with you guys. Glad you're here, sir. And also on the podcast, returning guest, Larry Irby. How you doing, man? Doing great. Happy to be here once again. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Glad to have you here, sir. And last but certainly not least, we have the Trek story in himself, Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing, man? I am good, man. I came from the same broken record store that Cal came from, so I'm happy to be here and glad to be talking Trek with you guys. As always, we want to thank you guys for listening, subscribing, however you got here. Of course, what we do here on this podcast is review each and every episode of Star Trek in somewhat excessive detail, in addition to talking all things Trek. All right, we're going to get right into our review of Star Trek Picard The Bounty, which was written by Christopher Munfett and directed by Dan Liu. Now on the run, Picard and the skeleton crew of the USS Titan must break into Starfleet's most top secret facility to expose a plot that could destroy the Federation. Picard must turn to the only soul in the galaxy who can help, an old friend. Alrighty, for everyone listening, if you have not seen Star Trek Picard Series 3, Episode 6, The Bounty, put us on pause, go out, watch it, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to review this episode. Like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Mr. Jones, what do you have for us this week? Not sure if it's comedic. It is a little longer, so bear with me. Plot lines continue playing a multiple tune that pops. However, for this episode... The production defiantly voyages to the peaks of Paramount, where they deliver a bounty that mixes equal parts welcome nostalgia, future possibilities, and just a slight taste of sour mead. Hmm, sour mead. Man, poor Picard. Can't catch a break. Larry, let's start with you, man. What did you think of the bounty? Okay, um, got a word, a name, the forge. That's where I'm good at. I have been waiting 30 years to see this man back. LeVar Burton, who I love, and we all know we love this man from Roots to Reed Rainbow, but to finally get Jordy back, you know, it's for to to get 30 years. I've been waiting for them to. And what I mean by that, I know we had Nemesis, but I'm saying to deliver on him having this life with these children and things of that nature. That's been 30 years we've been waiting on that. So I was very thrilled. Mm, so we're going to get to everybody to talk about this, but or give our hair level thoughts. But I have to just stay on that point right there for one moment. Was it the Jordy you thought we'd get? Is, is this a natural evolution for Jordy? Or was he a bit out of character? I've heard conflicting opinions from across the internet about the Jordy we got in this episode. 
did he make his return in the fashion you thought he should? And is he the same character you thought he should be? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what? These are the people. This is why I always say the beta canon is important with Star Trek, because if people had read the comic and they had read the book that came out, which was actually, you know, written by a lot of the people who are working on this show, they would know that Picard actually how he kind of left Raffi in a lurch. Same thing happened to Jordy. Jordy was building the ships. He was getting help from Bruce Maddox to make his long story short. Jordy lost his entire crew, the people who were working under him to build all the rescue vessels for the Romulans. Right. Mm. And he had survivor's guilt because he was on earth with his family when this happened. And then after all this happened, then Picard walked away. So yeah, he's, he's a little ticked. Mm. And I think people who might not know that backstory and I don't blame if they do might thought Jordy came on a bit strong, but you got to know where this man has been. I mean, he's got survivor's guilt. He's dealing with the fact that basically all of these people he was trying to help, a lot of them died. So, you know, the Romulans. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I was absolutely thrilled with LeVar's performance and the way they wrote the character. John, I'm going to go to you, man. Is, is, Is this the... Jordy LaForge, you've been expecting after all these years? That's a hard question. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, that's what I expect. It's not the same Jordy we saw in TNG, and I wouldn't expect him to be after so much time. Um, after dealing with the things he dealt with, as Larry just pointed out, I mean, that that, that kind of situation will change you. So, uh, yes, it is what I expected. I do miss that classic TNG Jordy that almost had an innocence about him. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's uh he still had that Starfleet glee in his eye. Like, mm. you know what I mean? And now that's kind of gone. He's kind of matured past that. And now it's about family. It's about taking care of his life and doing what he loves. And so is it a bad thing? No, it's not a bad thing. Is it who I would expect to be? I mean, you can't just bring the same Jordy back. But, you know, just a back part of my mind, I still want to see that old Jordy with the visor and all. So, Cal, uh, John says the the, <laughs> the glimmer in the visor is gone. <laughs> <It's> gone. <laughs> Tell me what did you, you thought about this, Jordy. And let's talk about let's let's pivot a little bit into the dynamic of having children, having a child that he's seemingly on the outs with a bit in Sydney. Uh, what did you think of that in this episode? So. My thought on him returning, not being as intimately involved in the Star Trek canon as you guys may be, not having that knowledge or having that immediate knowledge, I saw him more as a changed person, A, because it was 30 years, and B, he is a father. And I don't have children, so I can't imagine what that's like, but I can imagine that that would change his perception you know, somewhat. Now, his relationships of how he reacted to the daughter one and daughter two, you know, just watching people, I know different children migrate to different parents simply because either they are too alike in that context and they butt heads 
or they find similarities with the others and they bond over that. I get that. What I really thought was awesome was the fact that the daughter he got along with was his real life daughter. That was cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Pretty cool. And also on the ready room, we found out that they've actually bonded with the actor who plays Sydney. They've spent Thanksgiving together, which is pretty ah, darn cool as well. Sweet, Very cool. So, John, let's let's go back to you and get your high level thoughts on the episode. I think it was a really good episode. I had a problem with one character actor performance that kind of just gave me a eh, kind of a eh, nails on the chalkboard type deal. But other than that, I loved it. There was a lot of humor in this episode. And, you know, of course, we get Jordy back. We get another beloved character back, sort of. So overall, it was a great episode. I loved it. Kyle, high level thoughts, man. High level, no complaints, period. That's it. I loved it. All right. Well, let's get in some of the details of the episode. We find out that it's three days until Frontier Day. And the Titan has been dropping transponders to try to, as decoys, to try to get everyone off their trail. (laughs) So everyone's in the hot pursuit of the Titan. I want to just start with Vedic in this episode. And just the ruthlessness, I guess, we're going to see that she starts to display in this episode. Uh, We learn a lot. We get a good information dump for her from her. Uh, talking about how our brothers and sisters have been suffering. They actually hate being imposters within the Federation. They hate having to hold a solid form. And just thoughts on Vedic in this episode and even going back to what's a way we can get to Picard. And it, you know, it comes down to getting to his close ones, getting to his family. A thing that Beverly has feared from the beginning. Just thoughts on Vedic in this episode. Oh. I really, really, really hope that this is Jonathan's uh, nails on the chalkboard moment because this character freaking annoys me. (laughs) The actor does an excellent job of being unlikable, so I don't fault the actor. The actor's doing an awesome job at the role that she's been given, but the role she's been given irritates the freaking bleep, bleep, bleep out of me. Is this your hands on the chalkboard character. Yes. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, and okay, I'll walk it back. Maybe it's not the actor. Maybe it is the character in the way that was designed to make you feel. I just, I don't know. I want a good villain, not an irritating villain. And she's irritating. And just that whole, I want to find everybody's close to. I want It's just so cliche-ish. That, and it just, and just to hear, uh, I'm with you. It just, yeah, that bothers me. That whole scene just bothered me. It, it, it's, it's almost like, and again, n- no disrespect to the actor, but it's almost like I'm expecting her to say, I'm going to get you, my pretty, you <laughs> yes. and your little dog, your, your little federation too. <laughs> yes, oh, yes. Larry Vedic, man. Number one, I have been loving this character, loving this character until now. <laughs> ah. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this episode was like for Vatican. Vatican has almost become like a second thought, and she was right up in your face. She was awesome. She was, and I love when she's you know talking to Picard, them and talking like, you know, where are you going to run? You can't get away from me. You know, it was so good. And this episode, I I don't even know what they were shooting for. And again, I don't blame Amanda Plummer either. I, I think. 
the way they're right. Like every, we're all so happy to see these beloved characters that we know and we've loved for over thirty some years. And Vatic's just kind of, you know, she's just different. Take a back seat. <laughs> and it was not, and it was not good. Like the little bit, you know, that I saw was like, like, like you know, Kyle said it was just like. Okay, now y'all are straight up uh, making her before it was over the top and campy and good. Now it's just over the top. Yeah, it definitely seems like they don't they don't know what they want to do with the character in a way, because, again, at the beginning, I thought she was kind of menacing, almost mustache twirly. Then in the next episode, she's like super calculated when she's battling Picard and the Nebulas. I'm like, okay, uh, she has a little more depth to her. And now we're right back to this. She has one of the bridge crew of her ship killed, which we know that's a no-no if these are, in fact, changelings, I guess. And um, she also killed somebody near the end of the episode as well. So I, I don't know, man. I really just don't know what's driving her. Obviously, there's somebody a bit more powerful than her out mm. there. Her hand is driving her. The hand? Talk, <laughs> talk to the hand? Uh, well, well, let me let, let me throw this at you. So if you go and you look at any crime drama or corruption stories that you've ever watched, there's always someone at the very beginning of the story that seems to be the big bad, Vatic. And then you get about halfway through and you realize, oh, they're not really that bad at all. It's really fill in the blank. And I think she falls into that trope. She's yes. set up as the big bad. Now we find out she's not. So, but she's still there. And what are they going to do? And maybe the campiness and the over the top and the writing and in her defense is there are so many big moments, these nostalgia moments that we've been waiting 30 years for. Maybe you need the camp to make her f stand out. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but that could that's a possibility. Hmm. I was just going to say, too, I saw some people, I know what you were saying about her killing the crewman. And uh, apparently, um, Terry Metallus said that these are changeling. Hmm. So that doesn't make it because we know it's a big, big no-no to kill a changeling. Remember when Odo did it? And that was an accident. He didn't mean to kill the other changeling. But the, at the end of the episode, I was just going to say, I think those were Starfleet officers she killed. Yeah, it is possible at the very end. Yeah, I don't think those were changelings. Mm. So if Batera Metallic said they were changelings, so the people on her ship are changelings. And you were saying that they may be Starfleet? No, no. It, remember at the very end where they're beating Riker? When they're in Daystrom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I got you. And they're beating Riker and she turns out and just vaporizes those two. I think those were actually Starfleet people. Right. right. That's possible. Yeah. Any other ideas on who might be behind? Who's the hand? Who's the big bad? Any more clues have driven us toward a possible answer? Anybody have oh, any no. theories or any? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> say that again, Larry. I said Odo. No. <laughs> I just wanted to say Odo. Listen, they. I, I think the best thing they could do is retire that character because we know the great phenomenal man who brought that character to life is no long no longer with us yeah but i don't know at this point i'm i was loving that i didn't know and now i'm just like where y'all you guys better not set me up with this awesome season 
and then give me some really weak ending. Yeah, they are. They're amping us up. They will burn you. (laughs) Now, we know from the ready room that there's going to be a character that Will Wheaton says is so spoilery, he couldn't even tell us who it was going to be for the upcoming ready room. So any ideas who that could be? Maybe somebody from DS9, possibly? Cisco. Uh, It ain't going to be Cisco. I would love it if it was Nana. Yeah, that would be cool. Me some cure. I can see her coming back. Bring all the Bajorans in. I think we would have to look at it as who had the most, and I guess it would be Kira, but who would have the most knowledge about changelings? Oh my God. Could be Miles. Could be Bashir. I haven't heard some people saying that Renee Arjibanwa's son could possibly rekindle that role or reprise that role. So, and he looks just like him. He kind of looks just like him. So. Well, look, we're looking, and here I am, you know, crossing over to the Doctor Who stream, but we've got Sean Pertwee, who is a spitting image of his father, who could have been the third Doctor. So, you know, if he looks enough like his dad, go for it. And it could be the Doctor that was experimenting on Odo from Bajor. That wouldn't yeah. be so, that wouldn't be very surprising. Well, I guess it wouldn't be like, oh. I think he passed away, too. Yeah, but I don't. I think you can still bring that character back with another actor, and nobody will really complain. Because I mean, we only seen He's him like twice. Character. Yeah, yeah. I, I will. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna say something, and I want you guys' immediate re- immediate reaction of how it made you feel when <laughs> you heard it in the episode. Uh, and let's start with you, John. Eremotic syndrome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Or I, well, my first thought, and I know I'm a bad Trekkie here, I don't remember that being mentioned with Picard. Of course it was mentioned. It was mentioned in All Good yeah. Things. I don't remember that. I remember that being mentioned with someone else in Trek. Mm, no. Who who are you thinking? I don't know. No. I just, it was, it was I definitely Picard, man. Because okay. it, was, it was a thing in season one. That's why I got the Gollum body, remember? Right. But I'm... Well, yeah, in Picard, but I didn't know about TNG. Yeah, it was it was when we flashed to the future and all good things. It was the excuse they gave for him going crazy in the future. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that one. Larry, what, what do you think about it being brought back up as uh, something that may be causing Jack's visions? Mm, just what are your thoughts on that, man? <laughs> I did particularly love that because, number one, Aromatic syndrome does not need to become inertial dampeners. Okay. <laughs> Meaning it's one of those plot line plot devices they're gonna use over and over. Is, is everything I mean, you could have come up with a better way to say Jack's having these visions. We don't know where they're coming from. My theory was better than that. Mm-hmm. Remember when I told you guys the other week that it could be because. This could come from Beverly's side, from the Howard side. Yeah. That why Wesley is the way he is. Yeah. You know, Wesley's not normal. Mm. He's above and beyond normal. Maybe Jack's the same way. Maybe they got it from their mom. That's better than this trotting up saying, oh, yeah, he got the same thing that eventually killed his dad's original body. Hold on to that thought about that body. But yeah, man, it's me. It was just. I really thought, and I think they still may be throwing a curveball at us to where that's not the real thing that's wrong with them. I think it may be even some plot line of where the only reason Picard had it and Jack has it is because of the Borg somehow. 
I don't know. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me at this point of him getting it, especially so young at 23. Picard was like in his 40s, 50s when he got it right, even later. Yeah. Oh, so, I don't think that's why he's having the visions. Yeah, I don't either. I absolutely don't think that's why. But just even bringing it, it there was kind of no point to it. And believe me, I love this episode, but it was kind of like a little laziness on that. It was like they were wanting to, to, to tie it off in a bow and the bow being toward the end where they have the conversation of what you're getting from your father, et cetera. And so they had to have the negative to give the positive. I get that. But I also agree with you guys. It shouldn't be a trope. And I'm more or less thinking of it as they're just trying to give further plot support to the what we're assuming. Well, we know now that they went after Picard's body and they're needing Jack for his blood. I think they're just trying to keep our focus on that bloodline, you know, because I I mean, if that's I'm with Larry like that, that can't be the reason we're having these visions. They spent too much money and production in these visions to explain it away with some syndrome and just let it disappear. So I think they're trying to keep us focused on that connection, that blood connection between Picard and his son. And, and, And the thing that really makes me think that it's something even more that Picard passed on to him is that Jack says the irony is maybe I was doomed before I was, was even born. And he goes into this whole spiel about how, Beverly has been doing so much to shield him from the <laughs> what Picard is and his legacy collateral damage or whatever he called it. And his blood still is what's probably going to doom him. So I think it's more than just a syndrome. It could have something to do with nanoprobes or, you know, Picard is ex-Borg. I just think there's something more there. So for me, this episode was all about reunions, reunions, reunions. Just say that as many times as you want. And we get the first one, the first big one in this episode, when Worf and Raffi beam aboard the Titan, the hugs all around. And of course, we got that joke about the about the Chateau Picard. And then we go into this bit, which continues. And I want to get you guys opinion on this of Riker just kind of be in amazement of Worf being a pacifist. Kyle, thoughts on <laughs> On just the reunion aspect of this episode, you can even get into other reunions that we see and how you liked it as far as this feeling like a, a big episode full of nostalgia and reunions. Just general thoughts on that. OK, so if you put into context the friendship camaraderie that they developed, they being Riker and Worf over the years of TNG, I think it's perfectly fine for him to be making not not making fun but like giving him a hard time about being a pacifist i thought that was like good buddy moments i thought that was really really cool i loved the beverly giving him the hug where he's like i'm uncomfortable and she really didn't give a damn love that uh and i loved the geordie reunion whereas he's a little bit more standoffish and then even comes and I'm a badass and this is, I'm mad. But at the end of the day, I want to have this reunion too. And, you know, and has this cool moment. I was there for every bit of nostalgia that they did. One in particularly between uh, Jack and Seven. That was my top Mm. peak of the entire episode. Yeah. Heartstrings, man. Heartstrings. You know, when I first seen the Riker Wharf reunion, 
it kind of took me back. It, you know, even in TNG, they kind of almost forced that friendship because they don't really seem to mail together well. Right. But at the same time, that friendship was already established. But the, I think the what made it more funny to me with him telling Riker, I, I'm following a pacifist philosophy. And you think back to that episode in TNG where Riker was on the holiday with Worf and he was training and like Worf just kind of got too far into it with the bloodlust or whatever. And he like almost took his head off <laughs> and Riker had to yell at her like, Worf, stop. What are you doing? You go from that to somebody saying, I think the best way is to be peaceful and <laughs> meditate. And like Riker's head, he's like, dude, you tried to kill me. <laughs> and now you're a pacifist. I wouldn't be able to let it go either. I think he's going to keep poking at him for the rest of the season. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. But I do want to point out, though, Rafi 7 reunite, reuniting yep. was kind of uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I would like to hear what you guys expected to happen. I I thought it was going to be more of a almost a fight, but it's more of an uncomfortable, glad you hear arm's length type thing going on. Well, to me, that's just an awkward thing with someone you've been in a relationship with. You see them again. You quite don't know how to act, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like, oh, yeah, it's good to see you, yeah, yeah, you know, but still keep your distance a little bit. <laughs> so I feel like that's what the awkwardness I was feeling, feeling in that scene. Larry, any thoughts, Worf, Rafi, any, any of the reunions that you want to talk about? And I know we got a big one coming up to talk about, a huge oh, one. A big one. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, seeing Number one, Worf is, is a pacifist. By Klingon standards. I think we got to get that correct here. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> we are not talking about being a pacifist by human standards. <laughs> Klingon standards. That means I'm going to follow peaceful thoughts. I'm going to meditate. But I'll decapitate you if I need to. On Wednesdays. <laughs> now, I'll say this to kind of push back on that. Worf was a pacifist compared to other Klingons because he was in Starfleet. He wasn't really true. pacifist by choice, necessarily. He had to be that way. Well, remember, and you're talking about Riker is shot. Remember, Riker watched him literally drive a bat left into Duras's neck and chest. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. He, he was like, oh, wow, he did really kill that dude. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, Riker did that internship on the clean-on ship. And oh, he did. Riker, Riker, that's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, and he, so he really yeah. knows his clean-on. So for him to see a peaceful clean-on, I think it's just shocking altogether. You're going to get like my boy, the clean-ons. <laughs> I know that's the Foundation series, sir. It's not Star Trek. <laughs> but I loved it. Uh, Seven and Rafi, I thought they kind of did exactly what I thought thought they were going to do, which I thought in a way, I mean, you could have had them embrace or, you know, I don't know if they're still in relate, but just the fact that, hey, you're alive and you're okay. Yeah. Right. I'm happy to see you. I think they, they held back a little bit on that. Not sure why, but Beverly hugging Wharf, I was there for. I was completely okay with that. And because I kind of feel like Gates is getting a little sidelined here after we started her out (laughs) yeah yeah she was front and center at first but i was good with all it It was all the feels 
So Worf gives us this excellent just recap of the Dominion War, the Changelings, and everything that kind of happened in DS9. I really appreciated that. And we know that the title or the name of the next episode is Dominion. So uh, big things to come, hopefully, (laughs) in that area. Again, surprise character coming. I hope we see somebody we know from DS9, somebody connected to the Dominion War. It'll be a big one, too. I would love to see Dukat. I would love to see him. You know, I, I wanted to say that when we were talking about who would they bring back. That would be a good one. That would, would be very good. I don't know what the lifespan is of Cardassians, though. I don't. I don't Pretty think old. Is yeah, it? He would still be around. Well, I mean, still, all yeah. the pe- humans' lifespans at this point is like one thirty-eight, one forty. Yeah, but didn't he die? Didn't he die at the end of the DS Nine? But did he? Well, did but he? Did he? <laughs> we yeah, don't dum, know that dum, for dum. sure. He was thrown down in the. Pyrath's pit, but we don't really know. I, I was, if I can, I would like to just inject one thing. There are some people who are loving Star Trek Picard, but are not happy. And I kind of get where they're coming from. It's like, do you guys are giving the next generation one of the coolest storylines of all time, the Dominion War? Mm. They, they got nobody from DS9 other than War yeah. so far involved. Yeah, it is kind of a it and and added to the fact that people just kind of crapped on DS9 when it first came out, and now they're giving the TNT crew some of their best parts. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> I can see why people are mad. You know what? What if they brought back Sloan? Uh, interesting. Section thirty-one was mentioned in this, and you know, Sloan. The section thirty-one had a big part to play in the whole disease that infected yep. the changelings. And now we have a changeling problem. And so if we don't have Cisco, who I think would have the most knowledge or Odo, the next place I would go turn toward is section 31. And to add a little bit of, to add a little bit of credence to what you just said, if they are still in the back of their paramount portfolio, I should say, thinking about doing a section 31 series, that might be a good way to tie in slash springboard it. Oh, well, I did read a uh, article. Someone did an interview with Alex Kurtzman and he didn't say it outright, but his words were, we are still excited for the Section 31 spinoff. Hmm. Is it going to have the Oscar winner? Will she be involved? It's like, look, man, I was going to do this, but I got an Oscar now. So, you know, she, she's not coming back. <laughs> Well, that'd be a perfect reason to bring Sloan back. I guess if you can't have if you can't have Giorgio, then let's have Sloan. Now we got to have somebody that can carry a, se- a series. Sloan can't carry a series. Let's be no. honest here. Mm-mm. Why couldn't uh, he? I think he could. I don't think so. I agree with. <laughs> well, I think he's the he'll do he'll make a better. Well, he wouldn't be in this particular situation. He wouldn't be the villain. But imagine Sloan is the villain. Like I think Sloan plays a great villain. And he played that part wonderfully in DS9. Yeah, well, he's a great actor, but like the character, I think what we're saying, I don't yeah. think carry it. So let's get into what they called in this episode, Section 31's Area 51, which I thought that was a weird comparison, but okay, I kind of get it. Breaking into Daystrom, <laughs> the home of Starfleet's most advanced tech, we get just a plethora of Easter eggs in this these few shots once we use this key, I thought the key was going to be more than it was. We use this key. <laughs> the key. It was just a key. It was, 
I expected so much more, but it was just a key. It was, hey, it was like you said, it, it, was, it was just like an SD card. <laughs> just plugged it right. I knew, I, that's what I was saying. Like, really? This is going to get you in the most sophisticated, secure building or a facility in the Federation. And you had me an SD card and you just stick it in the slide and everything's okay. Like, I just knew that had to be more to that. And, and why are those slots even exposed? Like, why would you? Anyway. And why, well, how did he get the right position to put it in? There was three. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't know. I don't know. My thing is, when have you ever seen a door in Star Trek world that used a key? And I'm trying to be funny, but I'm also trying to be real. Have we ever noticed anybody using a key to get in a door before? Well, the panels, but not a not a key per se. But I mean, I I get what they were going for. We're going to use this to hack into the system to get us through the first door. It kind of makes sense, but I just expect it to be so much more than it was. Once we get in, let's talk about some of these Easter eggs we get once we get into the station. Genesis two device, Kirk's yes body <laughs> triples. I was here for this man. This. This is my, did any of you guys, I don't know if you did, but I think Kyle might have seen that. I got a sinking suspicion. You guys remember Warehouse 13? <laughs> and that was where they had all these artifacts stacked up. This is what that episode, this reminded me of. When you go in there and you start seeing all this stuff and you see like this modified tribble, which made me think of the episode of Short Tracks. Yeah, where he modded, he's messing with the tribbles. I was like, it's probably one of his. But you know, seeing Kirk's bodies in there, um, Genesis devices in there. Oh, and M five. Yeah, M five in there. Yep, yep. Original M five. Mm. I'll tell you what it reminded me of. And Larry, I think you'll get this. And Clarence, I think you will too. But in the day of the Doctor, they visit the black archive and there's all these different things that was nostalgia pieces from classic and you know more recent episodes so that's kind of what this reminded me of yeah just just some cool things in there we we get the thelion device from um shinzon there as well and i think it even said there was a, a borg reliquium how you say that the borg no thing what is it called reliquium I've had to steal that on Star Trek Online more times than you know. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, because Star Trek Online, anybody out there who plays Star Trek Online, love you. That is <laughs> That game's been going for 13 years now, man. Yeah. Wow. Every time I try to play it, I can't. I, I just can't. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't play it anymore because, I, I mean, after 13 years, man, I'm kind of burned out. But what else did they have? I love that part when, you know, they're looking through and you see the body and you're just like, mm. what, uh, what? Yeah, I, I I don't know what the Kurt's body I don't here. know what the angle is. What's the we're assuming the body is not in stasis but dead, right? I mean w- Well, yeah, I think they it's in stasis as to where it was when Picard buried him. Hmm. I would think that's my assumption. But what hmm. about the other one? Somebody said there's another Easter egg. That they had Archer's body in there too. Oh, I did not see. No, that. I didn't see that either. Yeah. That's what they were reporting. Somebody said it was a another Easter egg. I don't know. I didn't see it. Yeah, it's just just kind of cool that Section Thirty One has its place, and you know, 
I don't know why they're holding on to some of this stuff, but of course we learn later that they have Picard's body as well. Again, I'm not sure why they're holding on to that. Maybe with good reason since he was a former Borg, but we'll we'll get into some of that later. Uh, so we see the Raven. We see Moriarty with this for all of five seconds, mind you. Thoughts on Moriarty. And then also, if anyone will, talk about the flashback scenes we got from Riker. Because I thought some of that footage in those episode one flashbacks were beautiful. Mm-hmm. Oh, they digitally amped that up a lot. It was beautiful. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh my God, this looks so good. <laughs> yes, it did look good. I will say that they gave us a curveball. You know, I don't think any of us saw that coming. But from what I've seen and read and whatnot, it goes back to paying attention to the closing credits because all of that was laid out in the closing credits. Yeah, it was. And let me say this real quick. Tasha did join us. So thanks for joining us, Tasha. I missed your message earlier. She said that was an Atarin android body. I'm not, I know it's a TOS reference, but I'm not quite sure on that one. Do you know what that is, um, Larry? I think it's from Tasha. I think that's, that's the one with Sargon and, Mm. I think it was the one with um uh Mulgr uh, what's her name? Not Mulgr the Diana Moldor. Oh, you talking about the Breathe Again episode? The <laughs> Well not the first, the- but the one where they were they needed new bodies. Yeah, and they were gonna build the bodies and then they said, Oh, you know, hey, let's let's just keep these bodies. Yep, yep. That was a good one. That's one of my favorite two episodes, actually. Uh John Moriarty, was he everything you hoped for? No, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> maybe we'll, I mean, maybe we're obviously going to see more of him and we'll get more of it, more of Moriarty, but. Do you think so? I I think he's done. I think he's done. Do you? Yeah, I think absolutely. he's done. He was there in Section 31, heck, well, in Dacian Station. We're not going to see him anymore. He was used as a tool for us to kind of foreshadow data being in the, in the center of the Institute, and that's probably going to be the last we hear but the from previews him. like we got more f- i nah, enjoyed them i don't, I don't think so no? i don't think so no i agree with clarence there i think it's said done and gone if we don't i'm very disappointed <laughs> because we you're wasting a great potential <laughs> of part of the story like it's just it's moriarty like he probably came closest to destroying the enterprise or disabling the enterprise than anybody like just his <laughs> intellect he rivaled data like that's <laughs> i don't i don't get how you can just make him like a flashback memory connection tool i just don't know why we would do that yeah tasha says he's a minute man so <laughs> well i can tell you jonathan exactly why i think they do that is because of what we've complained about before with all of the various plot lines yeah you true. have to pick and choose yeah and I, and i don't think that was really him it was just data conjuring him up from the memory yeah, banks. I do too. I think that was a manifestation of Data's, you know, whole security or whatever you want to call it. But I don't think that was the real Mario. I'm, a lot of people think he's chilling like on um, lower <laughs> decks where they got all the the AIs and mm. crazy stuff in one room. Well, my I, thing I, is they could have accomplished that same goal with just the musical notes and the whistling, like Riker could, he was listening to the notes, right? He was figuring it out. He could have just finished the song and like, wait, and then had the the season, the episode one flashback, 
and remembered it and then whistled it. Like, I don't in that particular scene, we didn't need Moriarty, which I thought the musical notes, I have to say it. That was probably one of my least favorite parts of the episode. Really? Does it make sense? Yes, kind of. If you think that's data giving him the signals, the key, so to speak, to get in to the station. But uh, I, I just didn't love it. I didn't love it. Oh, it's an F. It's a D. <laughs> you know, it, was just, it was too much for me, man. I got to say, I think you're right, but I still liked it. Well, let me ask you, did you like this, Larry? We find out Data is the manifest. Not only Data, but we get a spill from Alton soon that he's incorporated all of the various androids with a whole lot of Data, uh, Lao, uh, Lore, before, into one consciousness. And then we're putting it into this aged, very human-like golem body. Of course, another excuse to bring Brent Spiner back. But still, a good, good, good story logic, don't you think? Yes, but it goes back to what I say and I preach this. Do not kill main characters off. Because you <laughs> always regret it in the end. You all, People will always dog you till you bring them back. I mean, we killed, a, you know, he's dead. Nemesis blew up on the ship. He was awesome. He gone. Oh, nope. Nope. <laughs> First season of Picard, we bring him back. Sort of. And then now we've got to the point, he's back. And I don't care. I love Data. I'm glad he's back. But you didn't really have to do any of that to begin with. Because mm. here we are now with Data. Sort of. Kind of. <laughs> so, 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 Kyle, let me, let me ask you, because for me, I was like, what about Soji and the rest of the gang? Um, how do you like Data coming back? And they didn't mention the season one other androids that were his children in the first season of Picard. I was so caught up in the nostalgia that I didn't give a damn. I mean, seriously. I mean, it didn't really affect me because I was so wrapped up in what I had seen, what I was doing. I honestly was sitting there thinking, and I'll be brutally honest, I was sitting there thinking, somebody's not going to like this for uh, Monday night whenever I was watching this. This is not going to sit well. The only thing that kind of felt like you just threw everything in the pot and said, let's see what sticks, is that you threw everything in the pot and <laughs> let's said, let's see what sticks. Oh, man. I'll tell you this. Data, I felt they gave... A lot, and this goes back to that other character I know we're going to get into, but they gave a lot of the data. There's a lot of things that Picard and Data shared mm. that really should have been Data and another character because mm. those characters were best friends. Yeah. And I'll leave that alone. But that's like we were saying, they took DS9's best and it's like, here you go, TNG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and play with it. So we did get a comment here from Tasha, and this is about breaking into Daystrom. Of course, by the end of it, uh, they're being pursued as we haven't even got to Picard and him over there where Jordy at, but but they're being pursued and they're going to be rescued at the last minute. And boy, Riker just goes off and says, I'll hold him off. And, <laughs> and was, I know he's going to get caught. I know he's going to get caught, but he winds up getting caught. But, but Tasha asks, how did Vatic and her folks get past security? I think because they were pretending to be Starfleet, right? That's my assumption. Oh, man. Freaking changelings, man. And she probably portaled herself into in there and then took the form of a Starfleet officer. So. Mm. Mm. Or she could have just found an SD card and formatted it. <laughs> I mean, 
but what Tosh is asking is correct. That still doesn't answer the question. Even if they look like a Starfleet officer, that doesn't mean you would have the code. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, as we stated before, you have to ask the right question to, to figure out if it's a change. So like what I said is, is off screen. Mm. That's how they got him. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. But, man, Riker can't catch a break, can he, man? Did we see? I mean, we kind of thought that Deanna was going to be in there, right? After he got captured. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, no, I did not. Hmm. I wasn't surprised. I really wasn't thinking one way or the other, but I wasn't surprised. When he made the comment, and I don't remember the exact wording of like, if you think I'm going to talk, you you know, you can do what you will. Like that always follows with the person closest to them already being held by the villain. So I already figured that's Deanna's going to be there. But what I did love is her com- her comment. <laughs> like, she's not really scared. She's like, oh, Will. <laughs> that's so typical. <laughs> That's so typical Deanna Troy, man. And Riker, I'm going to tell you what. Jonathan Franks, you know, I love that man. I just do because mm. he's awesome. But I'm going to tell you straight up, Riker, <laughs> Riker run out there like he was 30-year-old Riker <laughs> and found out real quick, no, you are 70-something-year-old Riker. I'll cover you. Taken out immediately. <laughs> that arthritis kicked in. He could not. No, man. <laughs> Tried to duck and cover, and he just fell. <laughs> hey, you know how he used to do the roll? He used to do the Kirk roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work this time. If he would have rolled, I would have fell out my chair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That would have been so good. We should have took somebody other than the 80 year old Riker. Dude, they all old. <laughs> <laughs> seven's not old well, yeah, and seven. they're, they're only middle aged now in your 70s remember true mm-hmm. but I, I guess if I'm forming an away team and I have Worf and Seven available that's who I'm taking mm-hmm. I'm not taking Riker no but Riker's guess, the master of the away team dude he's the master of the away yeah. team yeah well he had a red shirt this time but like I said that, <laughs> that, was, that was 30 years ago <laughs> So, of course, they got dropped off here and the Titan went to Athen Prime, which we learned is the the Fleet Museum. And we kind of talked about Jordy before, but he's a Commodore now, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. And, you know, I've talked about the dynamics just a little bit of him and his daughter. I thought that was an interesting angle to play, especially when we get to the end of the episode and we see (laughs) the two kids uh, sort of like Scottie Pippen's daughter and Michael Jordan's son. <laughs> they've linked up and run off and yeah, Jack is a bit of a troublemaker, but it needed to be done. It needed to be done. Yeah, I, I don't want to tell you this, Clint, but that's actually Scottie Pippen's ex-wife and Michael <laughs> Jordan's son. What? <laughs> Are you serious? Wife, dude. Oh, I thought yeah. it was his daughter. Oh my God. That's so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do that up. Well, on discussing NBA. (laughs) (laughs) Coming soon. Coming soon. And we do also get, once we get to Athens Prime, of course, we talked about what some may consider a different Jordy. Jordy with very, very different priorities, of course. For him, family becomes first and foremost, which I don't blame him one bit. I really don't. And we get this, this ship scene, all these different ships and just, and Kyle, you talked about it before, but John, what did you think of that moment of Seven and seeing the Voyager? Awesome. Absolutely awesome. Which, And I get it. This was just pure fan service, but I'm there for it. I love seeing it. And I just love the fact that 
you know, with Jack's all of his knowledge, he knows nothing about Voyager. You know, it just and it it kind of gave us a chance to because I feel like a lot of people mm, so meta, yeah, and they can a lot of people kind of write out Voyager because they were off in another quadrant for the entire series. But I mean, Voyager was a badass ship. It was. Obviously. And you have to, you can't mention the great, sh- the great ships of Star Trek and not mention Voyager, which they usually get forgotten. Yeah, yeah, it, it warmed my heart, especially added with the speech that that Seven gave around it, that it went the mm-hmm. furthest. Yeah, such such a great series. I feel like I would have loved it, and I know this probably wouldn't make any sense in the episode or in this season, but I just my favorite ship of all time is the Defiant. So I was kind of hoping because I knew the Defiant had a cloaking device. That's what I figured they were going to go do. <laughs> they they went and got it from Klingon Tech, which would be hard. Well, I guess I guess the one on the fire is old. No, yeah. uh, over a hundred years old now. Yeah, from their point of view, right? And the Defiant Tech is right there. That's only thirty, and it's already <laughs> modified to work with yeah. Federation technology. All they had to do was plug and play. They had a plug and play <laughs> cloaking device, and they chose to go get the one you had to rig. Yeah, that was just just ship pouring moment, man. The, the Defiant, the Enterprise, A, uh, Voyager, HMS Bounty. Oh, it was so good. And, and of course, uh, Terry Metalis has to get him a ship, which uh, I didn't know this, but but Tasha pointed it out that uh, the USS New Jersey is named after Metalis's hometown, and I think the call sign is like 1975. He is, I think he was born as well. Yeah. So he's putting this stamp everywhere. Okay, you know? Why not? <laughs> oh, did you guys also see they didn't give it any love, but it was there. They had the refitted, the refit NX01. It was the one we were going to see if we had got the sixth season. Really? Enterprise. They were going to do, I think, a time jump and they were going to give it the finally the drive section that we became. But yeah, it's actually there. Look it up online. It's actually, and it was concept art that was done for mm. the next season of Enterprise, which we never got. And another good point, which Tasha brings up in the chat. And if you're listening, you should also join us live. We can jump in the chat and comment too. We learned that these ships are connected. These ships are connected. Maybe a call back to Prodigy, where we learned the ships can talk to each other. So I, I love that tie-in. It really worked here. And and like Tasha says in her comment, we need those old ships. <laughs> Tasha's always bringing up a great comment. I didn't think about that. Maybe them old ships are not going to stay there. Mm. Good one, Tasha. Good one. It, yeah, and Sydney gives us that tidbit that the ships are connected when they flee from um um they flee from the Wild Daystrom Station. And I was surprised by it. I'm like, well, if they flee, aren't they still going to be caught? But I guess it's still, even though they're connected, you have to be in a certain radius to 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 talk to each other. Alondra, yeah, yeah Alondra. Alondra was Alondra was said, said yeah when she yeah. said that. And you would still think him and Riker and them would know that. You would think, but they are retired, so <laughs> why wouldn't Shaw know that? He, mm, <laughs> good point. <laughs> he's a captain. He should, <laughs> and he's an engineer. He's an engineer, so he knows. But his defense, his ship just got refit. So maybe it didn't before it just got the refit or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's pretty awesome and an interesting point. Uh, only thing I say about the future tech that they add to these ships and stuff or Star Trek in general, you don't want to add something so advanced that it kind of 
makes possible storylines not possible anymore. You know, it's going to be a lot of things you probably can't do if the ships can talk to each other like that. But still interesting. Uh, speaking of Shaw, Shaw was freaking starstruck as as Larry <laughs> as Larry would be by Jordan LaForge. <laughs> what did you think of that, Cal? I just like seeing a different part of, you know, a different side of Shaw. I thought that was cool. Yeah, we've seen the gamut of emotion from him. <laughs> we've seen everything. And I, I just thought that was really funny. Well, I just, I felt sorry for Picard and Riker because he, he like had a geek out moment of a legend with LaForge and like Riker and Picard just kind of got the cold shoulder when they came aboard. Yeah, they did. Any other thoughts about Jordy and Athen Prime? Before we kind of discuss Picard's body, which is revealed to us by the new data. I will I will say this. Of course, I was thrilled. But Clarence, I mean, guys, you got to love it, though. I mean, you got to see Jordy just kicking back. And here's another one. I got this one for you. How did we get Space Dock way out there? And that thing travel at warp speed? I don't think so. So, I mean, I'm. Totally geeking out on that. Just saying. They said, oh, this is the original space dock. It's like, yeah, how did you get it there? Yeah, where is Athen Prime? Do we even know? I don't think we even know. I mean, tractor beams at war. They've done it before. That's an awful big thing, the tractor. Yeah, but I think what Tyler said that they may have broken it apart. Because somebody commented on Twitter, of course, he's always talking. He said, well, maybe they broke it apart and took it there. You know, that could be one way. Oh, Tasha makes a good point. Maybe the portal weapon. <laughs> I don't know what the distance is on the portal weapon, but that makes sense. <laughs> and you know what? That that makes a lot more sense because Starfleet doesn't, and they don't really create weapons. They create tools to help. So they were trying to figure out how to move large objects a long distance away, and they said, "Well, we have we can make this portal technology." And they used it to move that station, and then the Dominion, I guess we're assuming, found it and said, "We can make that a weapon." I guess it wouldn't be that hard because Kyle knows this. I mean, if Doctor Who can like move the Earth across the universe, I guess I guess you could move a space station. <laughs> hey, that's how journeys end. That's all I can say. Oh Lord, Lord, Lord! You, if you got a stolen Earth, that's how journeys end. <laughs> so, guys, let's let's begin to kind of wrap this up a bit. Let's talk about Picard's body. That's the big drop we get from the new data. Any thoughts on that, where we're going? Who needs Picard's body and why? Any thoughts, speculation? Chime in. Anyone. Mm. I still think it's a little odd that they have more than one body. I, I think that was too deliberate for us to see James T. Kirk's body. And mm. then at the end, have Picard's body. I don't know if it's trying to take some of their genes from their to like clone them in a way with changelings, make more than one Picard. I, I'm not sure, but that's just, that's what popped into my head. But you know, since we know, I mean, changelings can take their form easily. And now we know they can do it to the molecular level almost. Like, I just don't see why they would need Picard's body. Unless he was carrying some kind of virus, bacteria or something. Maybe it, has to do with that syndrome and, mm. you know, and they point out that Jack has it, too. So maybe something about that they need. What if aromatic syndrome is is something totally different than what we think it is? 
Mm. What if it's a weapon? What if right. it, I I don't know where they're going. What if it's because of some stuff he's been through, like with the Q and all that type stuff? Maybe if it's something that's I don't know altered his genetic structure or something. Mm. I have no idea where they're going with that. So. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, but man. When you have a, a race of, of, of beings that can pretty much copy anything, why the heck would you need his body if not for his DNA or something in his structure that was passed along to him over, you know, the course of, of TNG or his whole life, I guess. So that I, I believe that's where they're going. And of course, you know, we talked about the DNA structures that we see in the post credit scenes since the first episode. So I, I think it that has to be what's Tasha going on. said another good one. Borg, because he was assimilated, maybe it's something that still let because we do know he still he even commented uh when he's talking to his brother that he still had Borg technology throughout his body. You just yeah. can't see it. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. And, and I'm not trying to be funny here again, but mm, if he did have the Borg stuff in his body at the time Jack was conceived, I'm not trying to be funny, but who's to say some kind of genetic wasn't passed along? Seriously. True. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Again, that's why I think this aromatic syndrome is not what they say it is. It, I think it's something more. Yeah. Maybe it never was a, something that was going to kill them. Maybe it was something special. I don't know. Just a guess. Any other thoughts, guys? As what you said, Clarence, it's true. Because here's the thing. Aerobotic syndrome breaks down the pathway, neural pathways, right? Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Aerobotic syndrome does not make you John Wick. <laughs> he he took out those changelings like it was nothing. So something is definitely going on. And it's not aerobotic syndrome. And and we know the big day coming up is Frontier Day. So that that's gonna be the day where all where the S hits the fan. <laughs> And we did get the the, the countdown is two days from the, the current episode that aired last week. So, yeah. Yeah, we're we're coming to the end here and for what looks like it's going to be a climactic finish. So I, I can't wait. So if no other thoughts about this episode, we're going to go ahead and give ratings. Larry, how do you rate this episode, sir? Um, I'm giving this one like a 5.9. Mm. Wait, hold up. It's on a 5.9. They break the scale, dude. Oh, what was it? Five? Yeah. Out of five. Okay, I will five. I'm five. Sorry. Five all the way. Okay. Awesome. I was working on the T the TOS warp scale. <laughs> Cal, how do you rate this episode if you're still there? I'm still here, yes. And I am loving the 5.9, but since I could say it could be just a tiny bit better. I don't know what better is. I'm just going to say it is a 4.9999999999. There you go. An effect of five by cow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. With still just a little bit of 0.00001 to go on. Awesome sauce. Uh, I'll, I'll give my rating before John does. I'm going to say 4. I'm going to say 4.9. I feel like it falls short of perfect, but it's pretty darn close. And, you know, a lot of people say it was just a bunch of nostalgia. We really didn't advance the story that much. But, man, what they gave me was so good. I'm going to complain about that. So 4.9 for me. John, how do you rate it, sir? I'm going to have to go 4.89. Ooh, 
Wow. I just, the Vatic part just bothered me too much. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I get it. I, I just, it took, well, I'll say this. And again, I know we've said many times it's not the actor's fault, but I, I wanted, for some reason, that particular part just was not as enjoyable as the rest. And for that, they kind of knocked it down for me. All right. So anyone listening or in the chats, how do you rate this episode? You can let us know by sending in feedback to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hitting us up at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. You can also use those same outlets to respond to Trek trivia. John, what do you have for us this week, sir? All right. So, well, we did get an answer for last week's Trek trivia from our friend Harrell. And let me go back to the question. So what was another changeling detection system that was used on screen? And his answer, and I'll read it word for word so I don't mess it up. He said, the answer to this week's Trek trivia is that you can detect a changeling with a phaser sweep. It forces the changelings to revert back to a liquid. That is correct, sir. Ooh, nicely done, Harrell. Oh, yes. Yes. (laughs) So you remember they were the uh, Federation president. They were trying to convince him to take stronger measures, and that was the stronger measures. And our poor Odo had to test the system. Yes. (laughs) Guinea pig. Mm. New Trek trivia for this week. So we this episode kind of focused heavily on Data and our actor, Brent Spiner. Uh, so Brent Spiner drew his inspiration for his portrayal of Data from, Data from two different sources. One was taken from Riker's reference to Data as Pinocchio in a counter at Far, encounter at Farpoint. What was the second inspiration for Brent Spiner? I have no idea. It's a good one. I uh, I wouldn't have guessed. Makes sense, though. Hmm. What other robot shows were out around that time? That's where I'm going. Well, I was going to say the one guy, but that would make sense. Marcel Marceau. Who? The pat, either Patamime. Oh. The way, the way he moved. and He could move sort of mechanically looking. Hmm. Probably not it. But. Is that close, John? No, not it. Do your research, Trekkies. We'll see you next week. Yeah, and give us that question one more time as we wrap. So Brent Spiner drew his inspiration for his portrayal of Data from two sources. One was from Riker's reference to him as Pinocchio. And what was the second inspiration for Brent Spiner for his portrayal of Data? All right. There you have it, folks. And I'll say real quick, Tasha rated this 4.95. So looks like we're pretty close across the board, which, you know, I'm happy about. So with that, we're going to wrap things up. Again, Larry, thanks for joining in. This has been fun to have you for these Picard reviews so far, man. And we appreciate having you, dude. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right. And for everyone here, until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe.
You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com. Hello there. I'm Gates McFadden. In season two of my podcast, Investigates, we go beyond the stars to unearth a deeper connection with some of the most familiar faces in my ever-growing space family. Together, we'll explore the human, not the on-screen persona of these actors and find out some fascinating things you might not have known about. Things that might tell us about who they are or who they think they are. Won't you join me for season two of Investigates, premiering February 21st on all platforms. Can I say that like shut up Wesley? I can just go shut up Clarence?